kind of put that on the back shelf in the back of your mind. Just to give you a little history about myself, um, I have two boys, and for about 10 years, I was a single parent. How many single parents up in here? I, I understand, okay? And, you know, dating is rough out there. And, you know, not to belittle or talk about anybody else, I didn't want to be that mom dating this guy. That didn't really work out, okay? Kids get attached to that guy, get rid of him. So then six, seven months, eight months later, another guy comes to the picture. That didn't quite work out. I don't really believe in dating without a purpose. I'm not saying Christians can't date, but at least my own personal perspective, I don't believe that you should date without purpose. If you're going to be dating, be dating because you two have talked about what your, your common goals are, what your end goals are, and that you are working together to accomplish those goals. So that was what I set for myself. And I had to get to that place of discipline. It didn't just come, I got saved, okay, I'm saved now, you know what, I got it all together. It didn't come like that at all. Um, once upon a time in my life, you know, despite the woman of God you see today, I was attracted to thugs, drug dealers, pushers, you know, the worst. My brother can testify that that's just kind of the guy I was attracted to. But then again, that was the kind of guy that I attracted. How many of you have, how do, why do I keep attracting these married men? Why do I keep attracting these guys that are abusers? I was, I was in that position where I attracted a certain type of guy. So I said, you know what, God? You know, I want to be married. This is what I want. So can you help me to be able to live my life and to walk through my walk and, you know, reach that goal of mine, which is to be a wife, a helpmate for somebody. I want a father to my kids. I don't want another baby daddy. You know, I, there's enough of those out there. I want a man of God that's going to be after God's own heart that's going to be the head of my household. So God really honored that, and I'm really thankful. And he and I developed this relationship over the course of that 10 years to where, you know, in that time frame, I was single and celibate. Yes, you can be celibate and be saved. No, I didn't pleasure myself or anything, anything like that. You know, that can, it can be done. You know, you just really have to submit yourself to God and really trust him to be the one that can help you get through those late night hours, help you get through those lonely periods, and to really be that confidant and just that, that, that pillar of trust and, and strength that you really need to get through those times. So with all that said, you know, in that time frame, I did not date. I never went out on one single date. That's not to say I'm human. You know, I would have crushes on guys. I'd like guys all the time. But one thing that I would do is, okay, God, I like him. What do I... Can can I have him? Is he available? You know, what is his heart like? What is his characteristics like? What is his integrity like? And God was so faithful every single time. He would say, no, daughter, not him. Or he's crazy. Or he will kill you. No, I'm serious. God has said all these things to me before because you, just like you have a destiny, he has a destiny or she has a destiny. So when you two link up together, guess what? So does your destiny becomes linked up because I can testify that my, my son in there, one of my sons, I was with his father for X amount of years. His father's dead today. And I thank God that he grabbed me out of that relationship because when you get with people, you just, okay, yeah, he looks good or she looks good. We have X, Y, and Z in common. You don't know what kind of path they're on. You can't be with somebody that's on the path of destruction and not get scathed or not get hurt or, or not have some kind of effects to your own life. And as I sit here, how many years today, how many years it's been since that relationship ended, 
I'm still cleaning up the pieces. That stuff doesn't go away. Yes, God can stop things, but when you make decisions in life, you offset a course of events that will take, it will run its course, and when it's complete, you, you still, you got to pick up the pieces. You, there, there's still a process in the universe that was offset by your decision that you have to reap. You reap what you sow. You reap good things, but you reap bad things too. So just that really being the backdrop, I just really want to kind of help you, ladies and gentlemen, today with some of the things that the Holy Spirit dealt with me with in that time frame. Because even though I was single for all of those years, and I pray none of y'all have to be single for 10 years because it's, 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 it's rough out there. But you know what? I'll be single for 10 years before I spend another 10 years or five years in another abusive, bad, emotionally damaging relationship. So really, just I just want to kind of give to you guys what the Holy Spirit gave to me. So as I'm praying about this message, I'm like, okay, God, what scripture goes with picking a, a mate? You can always say, you know, he that finds a wife have a good thing. Proverbs 31. One. So I thought he was going to give me something like that. Not really. He kind of gave me something else that really required me to really say, okay, God, what do you mean by all this? So I'm going to flip back and forth here. I'm going to touch some word, and, and then I'm going to bring some practicality to it to help you apply that to your walk, okay? All right. The first scripture, the, or the scripture he gave me for this sermon um, is actually in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 15 through 19. Um, the first, what I'm going to do is read, this is the King James version that I'm going to read, but any other um, scripture I read throughout the rest of the message will be in another version, but I really felt like the new King James version did a, a good job with the, the, the words that were used to really um, help explain what the meaning of this scripture is. Okay, let me know when you all have it. Matthew seven fifteen through 19. Yes. Yes, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 19. When you have it, say, I have it. All right. Okay. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs or from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So there's a few key words in there that I really want to kind of play on. The first thing is, um, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs or from thistles. I really had to look at that because I was like, what's the thorn bush? What is a thistle? Okay, I'm, a, I'm an avid Googler. If I don't know something, I'll go to Google. So I really had to do some research to see what that meant. Grapes grow on vines. So what was the meaning of this parable where he's saying, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Figs don't grow from thistles. Figs grow from trees. So what really is he talking about? Really, if you take the, if you know what a thorn bush is, it is what it is. It's a bush of thorns. And a thistle is, is similar. It's, it's a, a ball or something of like 
thorns and sticks. And if you really think how you gather grapes, I had actually read how people go out and gather grapes. They actually go in the field and they pick the stems of the bushes or the, what do you call it, the bunch of grapes, and they put it in the bucket. And so it's really a hands-on process. A lot of technology has eliminate, eliminated a lot of the, the, the kind of like the man work, the hand work when people go out there and harvest crops and things like that to make things easier on the farmers and kind of cut down the cost of labor and things of that matter. But grapes, unfortunately, still have to be harvested by hand. Right. So when you go to gather grapes, you go from a vine that does not have thorn bushes. How many of you ever bought a bunch of grapes with thorns in it? Okay, so right, it doesn't exist. So really what is it saying? A grape is a juicy, delicious fruit. It can be used for jams and jellies and juices and it's edible for, you know, just to eat by itself. So to harvest those grapes, you're not gonna get it from a thorn bush. So what I'm saying is, if you're looking for a good, godly person, somebody that's after the heart of God, somebody that's got character traits that you want to be paired up with, somebody that you admire and respect and want to be linked with for your time here on earth, you're going to go to the great vine to gather that great bush and not to a thorn bush. Because thorn bushes don't produce grapes. How many of you have been with somebody and they have been just dastardly no good and you're like... Okay, I know he beats me, but he gives me flowers. I know he's a liar, but he always buys me stuff. You know, that's your thorn bush. He may have some good things, but you're not going to, with a grape, you could take that grape, you could take the grape seeds and harvest more grapes. You could take the grape and make jam out of it. You could take the grape and make juice out of it. What can you do with a thorn bush? A thorn bush is what it is. So what I'm saying is, if you're looking for someone that has those character traits, don't go looking for love in all the wrong places. Yeah. Don't try to go find a mate in the club somewhere, because if he's in the club, he ain't got no business being there. That's not somebody you want to be paired up with. Right. So that's kind of the, what I wanted to pull from, from that text. And then I wanted also to move on where it says, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Keep that in mind. And as I read this scripture, the story that really came to me, because my husband said, you know, there's all kinds of bad relationship stories in the Bible. You should be able to pull something from out of there real easy. He said that. And, and, he, and he's right. So I'm like, okay, all right, God, what, what story can I tie in with this? Everybody knows about Ruth and Boaz. Did he give me that story? No. What story did he give me? Samson and Delilah. Why did he give me Samson and Delilah? Let's read it. <laughs> so if you, you could just follow along. I'm going to read um, out of Judges chapter 16, and I am going to read the full um, chapter because there's so many good things that I wanted to pull out. So as I'm, I'm going to read and stop, read and stop, just to kind of pull out what the Lord was really showing me, how he wanted me to relate it to um, the scripture in Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. So it says, Samson went to Gaza. Pause on that. If everybody knows Samson, he was strong. And why was he strong? Because he had this long, flowing hair. So what did God say? Don't cut your hair. What happens when Samson got his hair cut? He loses his strength. Right, okay, so I just wanted to paint some kind of background for that. So Samson went to Gaza. There he saw a prostitute and slept with her. Strike one. The people of Gaza were told, Samson's here. So they surrounded the place and waited all night at the city gate to ambush him. They were quiet all night, they thought. We'll kill him at dawn. But Samson was in bed with the prostitute only until midnight. Then he got up, 
took hold of the doors, the doorposts, and the bar of the city gate and pulled them out. He carried them on his shoulders to the top of the hill facing Hebron. After leaving Gaza, he fell in love with the woman in Sorek Valley. How many of y'all know that once you make the mistake of sleeping with somebody you ain't got no business sleeping with, it becomes that much harder for you to break that soul tie? Yes, yes. Typically, when you are kind of crushing on somebody and got a little infatuation, you could be like, okay, you know what, cold turkey, I'm not going to call you no more. I'm not going to go to your house no more. I'm not going to drive by your job no more to see if your car is still out there. I'm not going to do any of that no more. And it's easy. It's easy. I'm not saying it's completely easy. It's easier to do it then because even though you may have that emotional connection because of your own mental fantasies and things that you've been thinking of in your mind, you slobbing him down or, or being with her or whatever, those things are a lot easier to break until you cross those barriers and you have that blood covenant until you actually sleep with somebody and have sexual intercourse and your soul becomes one with that person. Yeah. It's a lot harder for you to break those soul ties. Yeah. So Samson probably should have just let his crush be a crush, but he didn't. He slept with Delilah. Now he's got a soul tie. So this is where it all begins. So he falls in love with her. Her name was Delilah. The Philistine rulers came to her and said, trick him and find out what makes him so strong. Find out how we can overpower him. We want to tie him up in order to torture him. Each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me what makes you so strong. How can you be tied up so that someone could torture you? So, <laughs> right. <laughs> Samson told her, Samson told her, if someone ties me up with seven bowstrings that are not dried out, I will be like any other man. Pause. So he, she asks him, what makes you so strong? She's trying to find out his weakness so she could play on his weakness wow. and manipulate him. Did that register with Samson? It did. You want to know how, why it registered with him? Because he lied to her. Because if Samson was completely oblivious, he'd have been like, it's my hair. If you cut my hair off. But he knew she was up to something. Why was he not able to say, you know what? Nah. This, this don't smell right. I'm out. Because he had that soul tie with her. Once you get that soul tie with somebody, how many times you been in a relationship after you done slept with somebody? They do something, they cheat on you, they manipulate you, they lie to you, they steal from you, and they use you. And it's so hard to leave them. You're like, why can't I leave this guy alone? Why can't I just leave this girl alone? I know she ain't no good for me. You got a soul tie. Because that's the way you're supposed to feel about your husband. That's why God created sex for married people and not for people that are not married, that for people that are fornicating and people that are having one-night stands. He desires you to feel that way about your spouse because this, that covenant is important to him, and he doesn't want it to be broken. So because that, that covenant, that, that thing that you share, that intimacy that you have with your spouse is that important, God created those feelings to dwell inside of you and those feelings to rise up when your spouse irritates you, makes you mad, and does something to hurt you. You're not like, you know what, I'm out. You're like, you know what, I can't leave you. There's just something about you I can't leave. I, I got to stay. Because that's the way you're supposed to feel about your husband or wife, not somebody that you're not married to. How, do you know, how, do, how many of you know that everybody in the kingdom that's destined to be married, even though you might be single, you somebody's wife. You somebody's husband. You're somebody's wife. So if she goes and sleeps with him, you sleep with somebody else's wife. That's not yours. 
you sleep with somebody else's husband. That's not yours. So now you got a soul tie to somebody else's husband or wife. So the Philistine, so the Philistine rulers brought her seven new bowstrings that were not dried out. She, not a Philistine, Delilah, tied Samson up with them. What was Samson doing? When you're so close to something, wow. you can't see. It takes somebody from the outside to look in and be like, look, this is what's going on. I just had to pull you aside. Samson was so close, he couldn't see. How many, you put your hand in front of your face. You, you can't see. But you back that thing up, see if, now you can see all your fingers. He couldn't see. So we're reading the story like, Samson is just stupid. We, which is true, but we all been stupid. I know I've been stupid many a times. So Delilah ties him up. Some men were hiding in the bedroom waiting for her to tie him up. Delilah was sneaky. She said to him, Samson, the Philistines are attacking. Samson snapped out of the bowstrings as the thread snaps when it touches fire. So no one found out why he was so strong. Delilah told Samson, look, you're making fun of me by telling me these lies. Um, now tell me how you can be tied up. Here we go again. Samson told her, if someone ties me up tightly with new ropes that have never been used, I will be like any other man. So Delilah, <laughs> again, takes some new ropes and ties him up. I need to know how Delilah, a prostitute, was able to tie up like strongest men in a world with some ropes. That's what I need to understand. What was Samson doing? Oh, you need me to turn around? What, what was he doing? She had such a grip on his mind with her manipulation. She basically had him pliable in the palm of her hand. Anything Delilah said, Samson would do. Because, why? That's the way you're supposed to be, be in submission to your husband or wife. Why was Samson like that with her? Because he slept with her from the beginning. People, we got to stop, stop, stop giving ourselves away to people that don't belong to us. All we end up doing in the end is creating so much heartache and emotional baggage and damage. And I'll, I'll testify to it all day. It, I needed to be single them seven or ten years because God had to go through and undo everything I spent my entire life doing. Every thug I dated that manipulated my mind. God had to undo that. Every man that emotionally abused me and that robbed from me and stole from me, God had to undo that. Every man who I had their back for and had to take the fall when they was, see, God had to go undo that. Because if he would have sent me a husband five or six years ago, I'd have screwed the relationship up because I wasn't ready. Because I was still a manipulator. I was still a liar. I was still hurt. The bag lady, I was the bag lady. How many of y'all are tired of being the bag lady? So you really take this time as being single and not dwell on, oh, my God, I'm, I'm lonely, I need a husband, I'm hot and bothered. This is your time to really allow God to complete his work in you. Because when you come together with your husband, you're whole and he's whole and you come together to make a whole. You're not half. He's not half. You come together as a whole, which means God's work in you as a single person is complete. So when you come together with your spouse, now you can start the journey together. You're not holding him back and he's not holding you back. Because when you carry baggage, baggage is what? Dead weight. 
Have you ever tried to take a journey? You put your purse on. Oh, it's, this is light. Five miles down the road, you're like, oh, my God, I got calluses. It's heavy. It weighs you down. It slows down your journey. So that's really what your time being single is. It's not necessarily longing for a spouse. Yeah, it's okay to long for one, but you got to let God complete his work in you. So back to Samson and Delilah. (laughs) Okay, so Delilah took some new ropes and tied him up with them. Then she said to him, Samson, the Philistines are attacking. Some men were hiding in the bedroom, hiding to ambush him. But Samson tore the ropes off with with his arms as they were strings. So then she told him, you're still making fun of me and telling me lies. Tell me how you can be tied up. Samson replied, just weave the seven braids of my hair with the other threads in the loom. See, he's getting closer and closer to telling her what his weakness is. And he doesn't realize it, but she's wearing him down. When you with somebody that you ain't got no business being with, they wear you down mentally, spiritually, they wear you down. So she was, she was, she was getting on him. Because I'm sure Delilah being a manipulator, the Bible doesn't sit here and listen, list every single thing she said to him. They had already slept together. I'm sure they slept together more than once. <laughs> Samson, if you want to continue sleeping with me, right. how many of y'all been in relationships where that's been your ultimatum? I'm a man and I have needs. And we, we, we give into that stuff. But it just creates so many obstacles and so much turmoil and heartache in the relationship. Afterwards, we like, I should have just kept myself to myself. It wasn't even worth it. <laughs> so then Delilah, again, tied his braids up to the loom shuttle. Then she said to him, Samson, the Philistines are attacking. But Samson woke up and tore his braids and the threads out of the loom shuttle. So Delilah says again to Samson, how can you say that you love me when your heart isn't mine? You've made fun of me three times now, but you still haven't told me everything that makes you so strong. Every day she made his life miserable with her questions. How many relationships have you been in where every day in that relationship is miserable? But he's still with her. He won't leave her alone. He knows she ain't no good. She's a prostitute. How many other men has she been with? I don't care how pretty she is. How much of a red bone she is. It doesn't matter. You can't make a... A housewife, and that's what he tried to do. She's still a prostitute. You know them by their fruit. She is what she is. She's a prostitute. She's a liar. She's a manipulator. How many of you watch Real Housewives of Atlanta? You know, uh, what's her name? Kim Zoliak. She got that song called The Ring Don't Mean a Thing. It don't mean a thing. It's a symbol for a covenant. But how many of you know, if he's a manipulator when you date him, he's going to be a manipulator when you marry him. This ring is not going to change what's down on the inside of him. Only God can change what's on the inside of him. People tell on themselves. You can pray and ask God, God, show me, can I date her? Show me, can I date, you know, him? But oftentimes, God may say something, because he says stuff to me before, no, yes, no, or what have you. But a lot of times, people tell on themselves, yeah, you date their ambassador up front, but just hang around a little bit. They're going to start lying. The real them is going to come forth. Will the real so-and-so please stand up? They will stand up. People will tell on themselves. And that's what Delilah was doing. But Samson couldn't leave her alone because he slept with her. He was in love with her. Notice the Bible said he wasn't in love with her at first. He was in love with her after they slept together. So he had all kinds of lust 
in infatuation, and it was probably good to him. She was a prostitute, so she knew what she was doing. She probably dropped it like it was hot, turned it this way, flipped it, slap it, smack it up, flip it. She probably did all of it. She knew what she was doing. She messed him up. She put the thing on him. He couldn't leave her alone. He, yeah. <laughs> So it says that she pestered him until he wished he were dead. Finally, he told her the truth. He told her, because I am a Nazarite, no one has ever cut the hair on my head. I was dedicated to God before I was born. He's telling her all the business. If my hair is ever shaved off, my strength will leave me. Then I'll be like any other man. When Delilah realized that he had told her everything, she sent a message to the Philistine rulers. Come here once more. So the Philistine rulers arrived with the money in her hands. Delilah put Samson to sleep on her lap. So he stupidly <laughs> tells her the source of his strength and then falls asleep on her lap. He, he was asleep. When you're in a relationship for so long, and it, it said that she pasteurized him so he wished he were dead. That wears on you emotionally. It wears on you physically, and it wears on you spiritually. She pestered him so much, he wished he were dead, and so finally, he went to sleep. How many of you know you can't see when you sleep? He was asleep, y'all. And it was so significant that she, he went to sleep. The other times, it didn't say Samson was asleep. It wasn't sleep when she tied him up with the rope. It wasn't sleep. He wasn't asleep when she tied his head up with the threads. But when he revealed his ultimate, the ultimate information that she needed, he went to sleep. There's so many Christians today that are in relationships that are just damaging and dangerous, and they're asleep. You can't fight when you sleep. Samson was asleep. So he was at his most vulnerable time. When you're asleep, especially when you get into like the, you know, the REM stages of sleep, you can't, at least I can't, I sleep heavy. My husband probably, he sleep like light as feather. I can't hear, you can't hear anything. You're, you're not, you're in that subconscious state. You can't, your reaction time is slow. You're groggy. You can't think quick. And so Samson was asleep in this relationship with Delilah at, at this point in time. So she called for a man to shave off his seven braids. They didn't have clippers back then. So to shave his head, it had to be wet, probably had to lather something up, put it on there, and then he had to use the knife to cut his head. He was in such a deep sleep, he couldn't even feel his head being shaved. That's a deep sleep. So then, she, after they cut his hair off, his seven braids, she began to torture him because his strength had left him. She said, Samson, the Philistines were attacking. Samson woke up. He thought, I'll get out of this as usual and shake myself free. How many of you have been in a relationship where you're like, you know what, I know we broke up, I know that it's over, he'll be back, because he always comes back, just like usual, he'll be back, he always gonna come back to me, even though he with her right now, he gonna come back to me. That's the kind of deception, he, Samson almost took for granted that his strength didn't come from him, it came from God, and that was his covenant with God, 
we take for granted sometimes the grace of God. Sometimes that man or that woman break up with you because that's the grace of God on your life because God is intervening saying, you know what, that's not what I got for you. I got something such much more better. Or you know what, there's danger at the end of that path. Let me go on and get him out of our lives. But because we're so like entrapped and entangled in these soul ties and this emotional bondage, because Samson was in bondage. Notice every time Delilah got him hemmed up, he was in bondage. He was tied up in ropes. His hair was tied up. Samson was in bondage because he let Delilah get in a place she didn't have no business being in. And because she got in that place, she was able to have that emotional grip on him where she was able to manipulate, lie, and get whatever information she needed from him. So then the Philistines grabbed him. They poked out his eyes and took him to the prison in Gaza. They tied him up with double chains and made him grind grain in the mill there. His hair started to grow back as soon as it was shaved off. So to kind of skip a few lines, basically in the end, they asked you know, uh, Samson to, to, to entertain some of the Philistines inside this, like, I don't know, like this gymnasium, theater, cathedral. And they had Samson tied up in between these two pillars. So Samson was like, you know what, I'm tired. Can I lean up against this pillar for rest? And in his last breath, he prays to God and was like, you know, can you just give me one little last bit of strength? And in that last bit of strength, he yanked the chains or leaned up against the pillars, and the building fell on top of him and killed him and everybody else that was in it. I cannot, and I'm, I'm speaking completely from my heart, totally from experience. I'm not saying don't date, but what I am saying is that it's so important to submit yourself to God and seek him before you go on a date because you don't know out there who does not have your best interest at heart. It says to beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inward they are ravenous wolves. They may look good on the outside, but you don't know what's in here, and you don't know what's in here. Samson didn't know when he met Delilah that the end of that path was death. He died. He never got to completely fulfill the promise of God on his life because he was in a relationship he didn't have no business being in, and it basically cut off the plan of God in his life. It says in here that when in, in one of the translations that when his hair was shaved off, that God departed from him. There are so many relationships that we're in, not even just sexual or emotional relationships, friend relationships. God is not in it. That person is not supposed to be in your life. God, that relationship is not ordained by God. And if something is not of God, it can only be from one other place. And God forbid you're in a relationship that is not of God and the enemy is able to come in and, and, and do what he pleases. Now, God is still God. I must say, he can intervene. You still have the grace of God on your life. But because the enemy is the cornerstone of that relationship, the enemy still has legal rights to, to influence to infiltrate and to cause things to happen and to influence your mind, will, and emotions. And because we are so close and because we are asleep, we often don't see the hand of the enemy at work until it's too late. Samson didn't realize it was too late until it was too late. But we have a God that if we put him first and forefront in our life and, and seek him before we get into these relationships, he will tell you, no, don't date him. No, it's not time. No, she's not the one. She's a stalker. He's crazy. She's killed somebody before. God knows these things. So regardless of how good the package looks, 
You don't know what's on the inside. You don't know their past. You only know what they tell you. Right. We've dated people so many times where it looked good, smelled good, and after a while it kind of starts to smell a little, little spoiled. But, but we keep holding on because, you know, everybody got their, flaw, their flaws. You know, it's okay. We can work through. The, I can change him. How many times have you said, I can change? You can't change nobody but yourself. You can't change somebody else. They are who they're going to be. The only person that can change them is the Holy Spirit. And that's if they let it. So, okay, so now we've got some kind of some backdrop of what are some things to look for in a bad relationship, some things to do and not to do. We want to know how to pick a mate. So the Bible says to be fruitful and multiply. God really, and even with, you know, good trees bearing good fruit, yeah, he's talking about trees literally, but he's kind of paralleling that with people. Yes. So I'm going to talk to y'all today like your fruit, okay? <laughs> Melons and oranges. <laughs> so, how many of y'all here like fruit? Everybody but one person. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> Everybody likes fruit, okay? So everybody has gone to the store or the farmer's market and bought apples, bananas, not stuff in a can, it's not real, but like <laughs> mangoes and papayas and coconuts. All right. I am. So I'm going to read some things to you. I'm going to kind of take y'all to science class today, okay? So just kind of stay with me. I promise I'm, I promise I'm going to make it plain for you. So if, if you have any questions, we'll address those at the end, but I'm going to do my best to kind of get through everything. So in general, fruits have to reach physiological maturity before they can ripen. Most fruits do not ripen if they're picked too early. Did y'all know that? <laughs> All right. So just to kind of... <laughs> when farmers harvest fruit, you know fruit goes through a process. You know, y'all heard y'all in the church... Seed, time, harvest, all that stuff, is, it, it, it means something. So you got this seed. My, my son at home, he saved these orange seeds behind my back. I have to watch him. He's really creative and everything, but he's always making a mess somewhere. But anyhow, he saved these orange seeds. And he's like, Mom, I got a surprise for you. I got a surprise for you. So I'm like, all right, all right. So what he wanted to do, we went to the store and bought this dirt, and we planted the dirt, and he wanted to plant the seed in the dirt because he didn't want me to have to go to the store and buy any more fruit. He wanted to grow a tree. Aww. We wanted to grow a tree and plant, and I guess in 30 years we'll be able to pick oranges. So, so we planted these seeds in the dirt. Honestly, y'all, I was just like, I just left it on the counter. Like, yeah, we can water it. You know, like parents, like, yeah, okay. So I start to notice over time, these little buds is starting to grow, and I'm excited. Like, oh, we're going to have orange trees, and we're going to have a garden with peppers and lettuce and potatoes. I'm just excited, you know? So typically, farmers, I know that probably had nothing to do with this, but I just wanted to make y'all laugh. So farmers, when they harvest fruit, depending on if they specialize in peaches, mangoes, oranges, watermelons, what have you, when the seed is planted and the tree grows and the fruit begins to blossom, fruit is green, y'all. Did you know that? Before you see it in the store, it's all pretty and shiny and juicy looking. It's green. That is the sign of an unripened piece of fruit. It's not totally mature. It's still going through the developmental process. 
And the reason why it's green is because there is a natural chemical inside of it called chlorophyll. I like to call chlorophyll life, and here's why. Chlorophyll makes it possible for plants to convert carbon dioxide and water in the presence of sunlight into oxygen and glucose. I'm going to clean all this up for you, I promise. During the process of photosynthesis, chlorophyll produces energy in the form of sugar carbohydrates, which will power all of the plant's essential growth and development. This amazing molecule also gives plants their distinctive green color. So what all that says is that inside of fruit naturally is something called chlorophyll. That's not anything that farmers have to apply some kind of pesticide or chemical to. It's naturally inside of the plant or fruit. And what it does is it takes carbon dioxide. Remember in science class, the teacher says, plants breathe in carbon dioxide and they breathe out oxygen. Let's not cut down the trees. Trees are our friends. Plants are the same way. They breathe in our carbon dioxide and they breathe out carbon dioxide. Or they breathe in our carbon dioxide and they breathe out oxygen that we breathe. So in the presence of sunlight, that chlorophyll takes that carbon dioxide and water and turns it into oxygen and glucose. That happens over time. You know, anything that ends in OSE is sugar, y'all, just in case you didn't know. Oats, dextrose, fructose, glucose, it's all in the sugar family. And um, so chlorophyll is what makes the plants kind of this green, weird color. Have you ever eaten some fruit that was just like not quite right? Yeah. It was hard, it was bitter, it was grainy and nasty. That's because you was eating chlorophyll. That's what chlorophyll tastes like. It makes it taste that way because it's not done. It's not ma done maturing. So an unripened fruit is acidic. It's hard because it's, 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 it's scentless. It don't really smell like nothing because it's not mature. It's bitter and it's staunchy. So what happens to get the fruit from this ugly, green, tasteless, bitter, you know, scentless object into the succulent, luscious, juicy, delicious fruit that we see in your local supermarket? What happens? I think about food like that. My friends make fun of me all the time. I say, oh, that was just decadent. I like to talk about food like that. I love food. That's my inner fat girl, okay? Yes, fat girls unite. <laughs> so what happens to make, <laughs> yes. So what happens to turn the fruit into what we see in the grocery store? It's a chemical that's naturally inside of fruit called ethylene gas. I like to call ethylene gas the Holy Spirit. Now why I call it chlorophyll life is because, you know, it's, it's something that's naturally inside the fruit. It's composed of, it, it takes raw materials and converts them into usable sources. So before you were in your room, in your mother's room, God knew you. Yeah. And when he knew you, he called you. He put things on the inside of you. He gave you your personality, your gifts, your traits, and things like that. Just like the chlorophyll is naturally, it's composed of raw natural, chlorophyll is healthy for you. It's, it's composed of raw natural ingredients, and it's inside that fruit. It was already there when the, the seed was harvested. Before it matured, the chlorophyll was in there. And why I call that life is because, you know, throughout life, it kind of, those gifts can blossom, they can be cultivated, they can be corrupted. Sometimes in the fruit ripening process, if the chlorophyll doesn't transfer over into the ethylene gas, the fruit just kind of dies, it rots, or it just gets too ripe, it gets deformed. So that I equate that to 
For example, having a gift inside of you and not submitting that gift to God and using it for God's work and his purpose, that gift can come become corrupted. Yeah. Like there's so many talented artists out there who are not using their gifts for God. It becomes corrupted. And you wonder why they end up ODing and, and, and committing suicide and just living a life of turmoil and, and bitterness and unhappiness. God calls you to be a psalmist, to sing for him, not for the world. Yeah. So that, yeah. that, that's what I want to I relate chlorophyll to life. And I, I promise I'm going to clean all this up. So ethylene gas is the Holy Spirit. What is ethylene gas, you ask? Here's what it is. Ethylene gas, or ethylene, is also known as death, or the ripening hormone that plays a regulatory role in many processes of plant and fruit growth. So basically what happens with fruit is it's got this chlorophyll in it, it's green, it's bitter, it's hard, it's scentless. The enzymes break down in the chlorophyll and then ethylene gas is introduced inside of the fruit. And what ethylene gas does is it takes the acidic and makes it neutral. It takes the hardness and makes it soft. It takes the scentless and makes it, you know, the aroma. It takes the bitter and starchiness and makes it sweet. So when the fruit is unripened and it's acidic, it's nasty, it's bitter, it don't smell good, it's hard, that's what life does to us. We're bitter, we're angry, we have unforgiveness. We probably don't taste too good. Not that people bite us, but you know, we're probably not producing. Good, good trees bear good fruit. And if you're harvesting acid and hardness and, and bitterness, you're not bearing good fruit. So what I'm saying is, that's what we are like. And so we are introduced to the Holy Spirit, which is known as ethylene gas. Because he takes our acidicness and he neutralizes that and balances us out and makes us right. He takes the hardness of our hearts, you know, because life makes you hard, and he makes you soft and pliable. He takes that scentless stench that we've picked up in life, he makes it aromatic. Now we smell good. He takes that bitterness, that starchiness, that unforgiveness, and he makes us sweet, which is, I believe, like the spirit of love. Those are done by the Holy Spirit. So basically what ethylene does is it turns on the genes that make these enzymes. So how do you know that a fruit is ripe for the picking? Well, I'm going to tell you. When you go to the store, some of y'all are really gifted. You can go pick up cantaloupes and knock on them and shake them and smell them and hold them up to the light. And Yes, this is good. I'm not that skilled. I usually find out the hard way, yeah, them apples was bad. That was nasty. I won't get that brand no more. But what makes fruit, and I'm a, I promise I'm cleaning this up, what really makes fruit ripened is that color. Okay, we've got mangoes. Yeah, that's the right color, green. Oh, that apple is nice and red. Hence, you can turn fruit overs, not to the stem, but to the bottom part, and you can smell the aroma from it. And you can feel for a tender texture, like, you kind of squeeze it a little bit. Okay, I can kind of, yeah, that's going to be juicy. That's going to be good. Also, like with melons, the weight is good. It's so important, and, I'm a, and I want to relate this to picking a mate for life. When you pick a mate, just like you go and pick fruit, you want to make sure that, you know, it's got good aroma, that it's soft and not hard, that it's sweet and it's not bitter. Those are the things that you want to look for when you go and pick a mate, just like you pick fruit. You got to make sure that that ethylene gas process took place in that person 
to, to purify and to neutralize all the acidicness, the hardness, the scentlessness, the, the bitterness, and the starchiness that they had inside of them. Because you will know them by their fruit. Because if they have not been neutralized by ethylene gas or the Holy Spirit, if they haven't allowed him in there to do that work, that fruit is not going to be usable. Have you ever cooked like a peach or apple cobbler with some fruit that wasn't ripe? Yuck. You cannot salvage that. You know with strawberries, how you put it in the sugar and make the little strawberries. You can't do that with something that's not ripe. It's just, it's just nasty. You got to throw it out. So you, not only do you have to look for a mate that, that, that has had that process take place within them, but you have to allow the Holy Spirit of Ethylene Gas up in you to do that for you. Because us as ladies, the way God has set up his kingdom, and this is what I believe. I believe that he created or, or built the man to pursue us. You know, we got to cut down this independent woman. I can do bad by myself. I'm going you know, to propose to him if he don't act. That's not the way God set his kingdom up. That's not, and I'm not sexist. I'm not a feminist, and I'm not like pro-chauvinistic or anything like that. I believe that's the way he set things up. I believe he put the trait inside of men to be the pursuant, and I believe that he put the trait inside of women to be the ones that are the ones to be sought out. So what attracts a man to you? What attracts you to fruit? It looks good. It smells good. It feels good. It's it, because you will know them by their fruit. So if, 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 if you want... The, you want someone to be attracted to you and pick you, you have to let the Holy Spirit do your, his work in you so that you are presentable to him because he's going to smell you in the spirit. He's going to be able to tell in the spirit if that process has taken place in you. And vice versa, you'll be able to tell also. Now, I know you get emotion and things involved like that and your judgment gets a little cloudy, but that's when you invite the Holy Spirit in. And you ask God, okay, God, what about this one? Is this good? Okay. I, don't, I still don't hear nothing. So keep praying. Don't start pursuing. Keep praying because if it's yours, it's going to be yours. By the time you get finished praying, it's not going nowhere if it's yours. Pray about it. I know that sounds so cliche, but pray about it. And I stand here today as a married woman because why? Because I prayed about it. I did. You can ask him. I gave him a hard time in the beginning. Like, well, shh. So God say something to me, I'll let you know. And I wasn't, I wasn't trying to be fresh, but my destiny is too important to me to throw it away over some man. I cannot. I cannot. It's true. But God is so, he's faithful. Um, he promised me, you know, several years ago that he would give me a husband. And I held on to that for dear life. And I never, and it's not to say that I never had crushes. I had some serious infatuations or, or crushes or, or whatever you want to call it in them seven years. But I really had to pray because I'm like, okay, God, I know you got something for me or somebody for me. I just want to make sure I'm making the right choice because I know that by mistake, before I got saved, I didn't know when I met my son's father that if I would have continued in a relationship with him, I would have got caught up in some stuff because he's not here today. 
And I really believe that I would have taken part in his destruction because we were on the same path together. And I didn't want to make that same mistake twice mm -hmm. because, like I mentioned, God's plan, for, just, I, I got too much work to do. You ever been at work and you're ready to go? So what do you keep doing? Looking at the clock. Okay, it's 2.30. <laughs> Several hours pass. It's 2.35, okay. <laughs> but when you are so focused on your work, how much faster does the time go by? You're like, oh, man, it's 4.30. I looked at the clock last. It was 11 o'clock. Be focused on your work. When I was single, God, through Pastor Kendall and several other people, was like, read the book of Ruth. I got so tired of reading the book of Ruth. I was like, God, I would read it with attitude, like chapter one. I didn't want to hear about Orpha, Ruth, Boaz. I didn't want to hear about none of it no more because I had read it so many times. But I missed what God was saying. How did Ruth find Boaz? Yeah, sure, you know, her husband passed away. But she could have went with Orpha or did like Orpha and went back to her people. But she stayed with Naomi. Naomi went back to her people. Then one Ruth's people. Those were Naomi's people. So she stayed with Naomi. And Ruth expressed interest like, who's that? And, and what, did, what, what did her mother-in-law do? Oh, that's such and such. Go work in his field. She gave her instruction. She gave her instruction. She wasn't like, go cook him a meal. Go approach him. Go walk by him. She said, go work in his field. So Boaz began to notice, who's this in my field? And she's working just as hard as the other women out there. He don't know who she is, but she's working. So he, she finds favor in his sight. So after, 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 you know, I'm going to skip a while. After he finds out, you know, who she is, and she goes and she lays at his feet and says she laid with him. She didn't lay up with him. In the Bible, when somebody slept together, he went into so-and-so. They laid together. She laid at his feet. Do you know what laying at somebody's feet is a sign of? It's a sign of submission. It's a sign of servanthood. She laid at his feet. So he wakes up in the middle of the night after she didn't uncover his feet like, who is this? And she says, you know, I'm such and such, and this is why I'm here. In that particular custom, laying at somebody's feet, and when she told him who she was, he knew that it was custom. Okay, I'm next in line to marry you. Boaz could have said no. Boaz had a whole field of women. But what attracted, <laughs> what attracted him to Ruth, I believe, was her heart. He knew that Naomi's husband had died. Ruth's husband had died. Ruth could have been somewhere else, but she came here to work in his field. If a man is really about the will of God and really wants to find a woman of God, he's going to find you doing what? Working. That's where he's going to find you at. And in addition to him finding her working, she didn't go ask her girlfriend or some of the other girls in the field, ooh, who's the, who, you work for him, who's that? She went and asked somebody with some, some wisdom. She went and asked somebody that had some experience. With fruit, when you have a banana, say that's not ripe, say you want that banana to ripen quicker than, it, than the normal time frame, you know what you do? You put it next to an apple or some fruit that's already ripened. Because what it does is the apple gives off ethylene gas, which expedites the process 
of the fruit being ripened. So you want to get some traits in you that's going to be desirable for a man? You need to go find some women that are happily married, that can pour into you, that can mentor you, and can, that can really teach you about the things of God and how to be a woman. How to carry yourself like a woman. You want a husband, not somebody that's going to watch you, look at your booty as you walk by. You want somebody that's going to lead you and guide you and somebody that you can confide in and that's going to be there for you. Everybody don't need to see that. Ruth wasn't out there with her cleavage hanging out. She didn't have her shawl wrapped a certain way so that, you know, it was showing off her back end. She went out there dressed in her regular clothes and he found her working. If let the man find you working. Don't let him find you in a club. Don't let him find you laid up with somebody else. Don't let him find you somewhere with a bottle of some kind of alcohol in your hand or a cigarette in your mouth. Those things are not ladylike. Ladies, we got to really, really be women of God because there's girls out there that need us. And I'm talking to the men too. Boaz was rich. He, he had money. He had land. He had people working for him. Go find you a man that's doing something with himself. If he don't have a job now, he's not going to have a job when you marry. He can't keep a job now. A ring is not going to make him keep a job. If he's not taking care of his other kids now, he's not going to take care of yours. Boaz had his stuff together. He, he had his own business, I guess you could say. He had people that worked for him. And it says a lot about his character because of the type of woman he was attracted to. He didn't say he was, he was, you know, that Ruth was a Harlow. It didn't say that he was sleeping with other women in the field. It didn't say that Boaz had no other kids because from what I studied, Boaz didn't have any kids. He was all about his business, and he was really about finding someone else that had equal values. Unequally yoked doesn't stem just as far as you going out being with the unbeliever. It's same. If he don't have the same values as you, you're unequally yoked. If he's not about his business and you are, you're unequally yoked. It's the same thing. You really have to pay attention to what's on the inside of you. It's what's going to attract people on the outside of you. The world likes to call it the law of attraction. You know, and there's some validity to that. When before I got saved, all I could attract was thugs. Okay, but then once that died down, all I could attract was married men. And I'm like. What? What is it? But God had to show me there was some stuff in me. The aroma I was giving off, my scent was attracting the wrong kind of man. How many of y'all know who Halle Berry is? She's freaking gorgeous. She can act. She just, she seems like she got it all under control, but Halle got some relationship issues. You have to look sometimes, is it Halle or is it the men? What's the common denominator in each relationship? Hallie, what's the common denominator in your relationships? It's probably you. We always wondering, you know, what's wrong with everybody else? It's probably us. So that was kind of what, what God had given me to, to really pull that together. Another thing that I, I, I um, read about is how to make a fruit ripen before it's time is if you take it and maybe put it in a container because eventually that fruit is going to start to give off ethylene gas and it can ripen itself. Some of us need to live a consecrated life. Wow. We need to shut some doors. 
we need to sever some contact with some people because they're not aiding us in the ripening process. So if you take that fruit and put it inside a container, ain't no oxygen you're getting in, ain't no oxygen you're getting out. Nothing is getting in, nothing is getting out. You put it in a paper bag, nothing's getting in, what, nothing is getting out. But what is going on? The ripening process. And because I said ethylene gas is the Holy Spirit, when you put that fruit in a container and it has access to nothing but what? Ethylene gas. Consecrate yourself and cut some of that stuff off so maybe it's just you and the Holy Spirit for a season. And let him be the one to expedite that ripening process in you, okay? So in my conclusion, what I want to talk about is, or at least the scripture, you don't have to turn it, I'll read it because I only want to read a portion, is uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It says, to everything there is a season, a time for purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck what is planted. There is a time and a season for everything. Every, there's nothing that goes on under this sun that the Heavenly Father is not aware about. He knows every, every sneeze, the, um, the count, the hairs on your, he knows all of it. So when God says, I have a wife for you, but wait. I have a husband for you, but wait. I have a business for you, but wait. What do we need to do? Wait. Because who in the Bible did a great example of not waiting but Abraham and Sarah? What happened was Abraham, or God promised Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And you're going to birth a son. And he just gave the promise. Abraham was really old, okay? Like, like in his 80s or something like that. And Sarah was, you know, somewhere in the same ballpark. Sarah's like, I'm old. I'm not trying to have no kids at 80. I think I'm done now. But can you imagine somebody walking down the street and seeing somebody that's 80 years old and pregnant? It, it was weird then, and it's really weird now. So Sarah was like, you know what? I'm... God said that, but why don't you take my maid servant, Hagar, and go into her and, you know, she probably didn't say go into her, but, you know, take her as a wife <laughs> and have a child with her. And maybe that's the son God's talking about, right? So what happens? Hagar gets pregnant and she starts taunting Sarah. So you can only imagine what she was saying, what? I can have a baby, you can't. You can't even give your husband a baby. She started being disrespectful to Sarah. How many of you have ever dealt with somebody's disrespectful ex? And every ungodly thought and urge comes up inside of you when they get to the acting up. Present Sarah. So then Sarah goes to Abraham like, this is your fault. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. It didn't say that Abraham was like, but you told me. But then again, it didn't say that Abraham was like, no, I can't sleep with her. He was just like, okay, whatever you say. So <laughs> she blames her husband. This is your fault. You got her pregnant. Now she's taunting me. We have to go. And Abraham's like, well, she your maidservant. Do with her as you wish. So she sends Hagar off. So then Hagar finds, she's, uh, you know, somewhere crying. And the Spirit of God is like, why are you here? And then she tells him what happened. And the Spirit of God is like, you know, you're pregnant. You're going to birth a son, you know, and I'm going to bless this child. And he's going to be named Ishmael and this, that, and the other. Now go back to your, to your, um, go back to Sarah. So she goes back to Sarah, and time passes. 
So then finally Sarah conceives. She conceived at like 99 or something crazy like that, which is like God only knows how many years after he originally gave her the promise. And so she has the baby. Eight days later or so, the baby's circumcised. And then, you know, and then they name the baby and everything. So as the boys get to be older, there's conflict in the house. The older one is picking with the younger one. And if you look at the meaning of the name Ishmael, it, it's just like the name Jacob. You know by the name. Oh, you ain't nothing but trouble. And, and that's kind of what happened in that household. So this all relates back to Sarah. Why am I bringing this up? Because Sarah didn't wait. God promised her something, and she wanted it to happen in her own time. She got tired of waiting on God and wanted to make something happen. Now she's having problems. So she's having problems at home because this other boy is, is picking with her baby. You know, mother's like, you know, don't mess with my baby. She's picking with, with the boy. So what happens is they get sent off again. When we try to force something to happen in our own time, God was still so very faithful in, in this story because even though Ishmael was birthed outside of his will, God still blessed Ishmael because, you know, his father was Abraham. So even though that that child was not who the, the promised son that God had promised him, he still blessed him. But if you look at history today, those two nations who are representative of those two sons are constantly at war. Yeah. And all of this is based on a decision that was made how many thousands of years ago. When we make decisions that are outside of the will of God, it offsets the course of events that not only we have to deal with, but there could be generations and generations and generations after us that are still reaping what we sowed how many years ago. What would the world be like today if there was never an Ishmael? We will never know. So if God says, I need some of y'all, and I can feel about it. There's women in this room that have a, a, a list or some kind of timeline in their mind. I need you to take that timeline and throw it, out, throw it away. Rip it up and throw it away. Because your timeline is not his timeline. His thoughts are not your thoughts. His ways are not your ways. If he says that I'm going to give you a husband, know that he said that in his time. In his time. Not your time. Not somebody else's time. In his time. Sarah was 99 years old when she got pregnant with her son. If God desires you to have a child, you're going to have a child whether you're 20, 30, 50, 60. God is God. So we got to get rid of these timelines and trust him because I'm guilty of it myself. When before I got married to my husband, I was like, look, God, I'm 27 years old. My sex drive is about to wear out. Where's my husband at? Because you, I was trying to manipulate God. <laughs> I was trying to manipulate God. I'm being totally transparent right now. I ain't got nothing to hide. I try to manipulate him like, you're going to have some now because if you, you wait too long, you know, I don't know what to tell him. And basically what I could have done, if I had it in me, I could have went out there and said, you know what, because I said by the time I was 30 I needed to be married, I'm just going to marry whoever I'm dating at that time, and that would have been my Ishmael. Yes, God would have still blessed me, but how much hell, destruction, turmoil, and things in my life would have been set off course because of my decision. How would that affect my son? How would that affect my kids? How would that affect my family? How would that affect my business and my finances? Because I'm still paying on bills that I had to pay on when I made that decision to be with that boy 10 years ago that I ain't had no business being with. I'm still paying on those debts today 10 years later. Because when we make decisions like that, God can step in and say, you know what, I'm going to cut this off. But he usually lets us, the things run its course 
And that's when, okay, you know what, God, I learned. I ain't going to do that no more. <laughs> but we got to get rid of these timelines. If God promised it, he's going to bring it to pass. Just trust him. And I'm speaking from my heart because I know what it's like to wait. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to see all your girlfriends or your, everybody around you booed up and you at home watching HGTV. I know what it's like to go to the grocery store around Valentine's Day and all kinds of profanity and obscenities come in your head because all you see is hearts and teddy bears everywhere and you ain't got nobody to buy for. I've been there. But God, I stand before you today as a happily married woman because I waited. In that same discipline can be inside of all of you and that promise is in his word because it says in Matthew chapter 6 it says do not worry it says so I tell you stop worrying about what you will eat drink or wear isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes look at the birds they don't plant harvest or gather the harvest into barns yet your heavenly father feeds them aren't you worth more than they can any of you add a single hour to your life by worrying what does worrying do? Nothing. Just cause a stress on the inside, make you age. Why worry about clothes? Notice how the flowers grow in the fields. They never work or spin yarn for clothes. But I say that not even Solomon in all his majesty was dressed like one of these flowers. That's the way God clothes the grass in the field. Today it's alive, tomorrow it's thrown into the incinerator. So how much more would he clothe you people who have so little faith. Don't ever worry and say, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Who am I going to marry? When is he going to come? What is he going to look like? How is it going to plan out? Those things are not for us to worry about. That's stuff for God to worry about. Remember, Boaz found Ruth working. There's so much work in the kingdom that we need to be doing and plowing and sowing and ministering. We don't have time to worry about where are we going to meet at? What I'm aware? Is my nails and hair going to be done? We don't have time to worry about those things. It's so important not to get caught up in that relationship aspect because dating without purpose, I don't believe that it's right because you get in this relationship, your heart is broken, and this breaks, then you break up, then you got to take three or four months to recuperate from that, then you get over that, then another guy comes, you get in that relationship, Six months later, y'all break up. You got to recover from that. Who has time for that process? We got people every day dying and going to hell, and we sitting up here worrying about when the next man is going to come or when I'm going to see the next woman. That's not for us to worry about. It says let God worry about that. I didn't come to the way or anywhere else looking for a husband. I'm going to tell you all my story real quick, and then I'm going to conclude. I came here to support my brother because he was speaking. And I got so much ministry here, I said, I got I to gotta come back because I've never experienced God like that anywhere else. I got to come back here. And I've been here ever since. I didn't know God would set me up to meet my Boaz. And where did he find me? Working. One of the things he said to me was that one of the things that attracted him to me, yeah, I'm gorgeous, but like <laughs> one of the things that he said he was attracted to was my worship, was my heart. That was the aroma I gave off because I was ripened. God didn't send me somewhere six, seven months ago to find a husband. I wasn't ripe. I was still bitter. I didn't have juice right in me. I wasn't the right color. I would get men that were attracted to me, but it wasn't the right kind. 
And I knew at that time I had done all the fasting. I had grown as much. I felt it in my spirit. I knew by the spirit I had grown so much on my own to where with, with God, it was almost like I had reached that ceiling, that plateau. Then not that I was done growing, but as a single woman, I had reached that plateau, and I knew that my Boaz was going to come and carry me to that next level. So you know that when God sends you somebody, that man is going to pull you to where you need to be. He's going to push you where you need to be pushed. He's going to correct you where you need to be corrected. He's going to love you where you need to be loved. If your man or woman is not doing those things, that is not of God. And that is not who he sent to you, and you need to cut it off. So just know that there's a time, and not to worry, because if God said it, that he's going to do it. That's all I have.